1: Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB. Talk 860, my name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to have a local lady in the studio with me today, and her name is Lisa Peskin. Lisa is the CEO of Business Development University. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. We're going to be talking all about sales and coaching and consulting and business um, at some point. But as I always do, I want to start to, um, with you and get to know a little bit about you and your background and your growing up years in Springfield. Fantastic. Talk about that a little bit, your family and, and uh, what those years were like for you.
2: I was very blessed with growing up with an unbelievably loving family. My parents had dealt with a lot of adversity in life, but they always made sure that we grew up with a lot of love and um, fun. We grew up with a lot of fun. Um, In Springfield, I grew up with kids that were exactly like me. Uh, We were upper middle class neighborhood and everything was great up until my dad lost his job after 27 years. And that was a real changing factor for me and growing up.
1: Yeah, what year was that?
2: That was back in the 70s. He worked for a radio station as the controller. And after 27 years, they fired all the top management and hired people for less money.
1: And how old were you when that happened?
2: I was
1: in junior high school at the time. Okay, and and that, but you remember that as being, a, I'm sure, a very stressful and
2: troubling time in the house, probably. It was. Um, all my friends had a lot more money than I did. They weren't struggling. And I remember one year in particular, um, I was going to overnight camp, and my dad told me he couldn't afford it anymore. Mm. And that was a changing point in my life because I said to myself at the time, I'm never going to be in the situation where I have to tell my kids I can't afford something for them.
1: Wow! It, and did when this was going on, was this something that your parents sat down and and talked to you about, or did they just kind of handle things and and
2: you know pretend everything was okay? They did not pretend everything was okay, um, but they always didn't want me to worry about money. Mm-hmm. But I always did, and so when I'd go shopping with my mom, if I saw something was too expensive, I just tell her I didn't like it.
1: Yeah. Tell me about um, you mentioned in prior to the show um, for me, giving me some background information um, that your mom lost her mom when she was 15. And I'm curious to know how that impacted you. What was it that your mom um, did or said to you that makes that stick out in your in your mind as something
2: that shaped who you are? Well, as I said, both of my parents dealt with a lot of adversity, but my mother was a New Yorker who is a little bit of a Joan Rivers kind of character, and she taught me some great lessons, but one of the lessons was, she would say in her Bronx, New York accent, she said, in life, doll, you could laugh or you could cry, but it's better to laugh. And... Actually, when my dad passed away, he was a double amputee. Um, one year, he was in the hospital, 151 days, 20 surgeries to remove piece of his toe, the rest of his toe, the rest of his foot. And my mother would say, your father and I were going to get a divorce, but I'm going to win. And everybody would say, why? And she goes, because your father doesn't have a leg to stand on. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and... That's basically the way we've learned to deal with adversity. My dad would always say, he never complained a day in his life, but he would always say, you don't have control of everything that happens to you, but you have control how you handle it. Yeah. And it's my mantra. Because I thought, as a lot of people did, that growing up, life is going to be once upon a time, live happily ever after. And then we watched Charlie Temple movies and Disney movies, and everything was happy endings. Yeah. But life isn't like that. Right. Life is sometimes more like a whack-a-mole, where you pick your head up and somebody bops it down, and you pick it up and someone bops it down. And so the way I look at things is you don't have control of all the times that you're getting whacked, but you have control how you handle it and how you proceed. So would you say humor
1: for you is a big big uh, piece of how you, you know, cope with with life's
2: adversities? Absolutely. Um, It's the way I was taught to deal with adversities.
1: Um, When I think about you, and I I knew that from the moment I met you, you're very, you know, bubbly and open and um, growing up, I think our generation, when things were tough, um, there often was not a lot of discussion or talk about it. Do you treat... You know, your own children, you have two children, you have a daughter and a son. And, um, you know, when there are those tough times, which there always are, do you find that you're using the same coping uh, with them that that your parents did with you?
2: It's interesting. I think I've actually tried to shield them a little bit more than I was shielded because I didn't want them to worry the way I'm worrying, the way I worried growing up. Um, I'm not sure if that's the best way to handle it, though, to be honest with Mm -hmm. you. Um, I've filled them in here and there, but I think I've shouldered them more than I've discussed it with them.
1: Yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's called the helicopter syndrome, I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> for parents today. We coddle them a little too much, send them out the door with a helmet all the time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, tell me, uh, what you're growing up, what your aspirations were. You are now a consultant and a coach, and, you know, you're very naturally, I think, someone who, um is comfortable teaching others. When you were growing up, is
2: that what you aspired to be? I always knew that I was gonna get into business. When everybody else was playing school, I was playing office. And I always imagined myself in a large building with a corner office with glass and having a secretary. Um, But my dad growing up, he gave me three wonderful pieces of, of advice. The first one is, to never count on anybody else for your money he said you have to be able to earn your own living second piece of advice was to follow your passion and the third piece of advice was if you can be your own boss and I took all the advice at that time and determined that I should be a doctor And I went through all the pre-med classes up at Penn State. And I'm in a chemistry lab next to David Brenner, the comedian's niece. And she was all excited what was going on in her beaker. I didn't care what was going on in my beaker. And I called my parents that night and I said, I don't want to be a doctor. So I finished with a psychology degree. Not too far you could get... With psychology, unless you go on for your PhD. Mm -hmm. So that's when I went back to Temple University for my MBA. And I had no idea that I was going to have a sales career. I actually finished with a marketing degree Mm -hmm. and figured that I was going to have a career in marketing. But I did sales for a couple years, and I ended up loving it. But I always knew that eventually I wanted to have my own business. And after spending 12 years at a corporate America at ADP... I loved what I was doing, but I didn't have the balance in my life. And I had my dad's words in the back of my mind saying, be your own boss, follow your passion. Yeah. And that's why I started my own company in 2003. And then the awesome thing is I was training in China in 2005. And on the flight over, I met a guy from Procter & Gamble. And he said, if you could do anything in this world, what would you want to do? So I had a 14-hour flight, a lot of time to come up with my answer. But the awesome thing is I landed and I said, I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. And I don't know that many people in this world that could say they're doing exactly what they want to be doing.
1: Yeah, no, that is really a wonderful thing. And sometimes I think, you know, we talk in here about kind of the evolution of, of uh, people in their careers. And, and sometimes, you know, if if you're discussing that, it makes people think about maybe the passion that I have something is not what I've been doing. And it makes them turn around and, and you know, look for something else. Um, I think it's interesting that you, at, at one point in your life, you wanted to be a doctor. And then you turned around and, and said, you know, I don't like this at all. And I'm going to go into business and sales. That's a complete, that's a completely different path. Um, but I always think that psychology is a key component to Business and sales. Tell me a little bit
2: about how you feel
1: your psychology degree helps you in in business.
2: Great question. And by the way, there was a common theme be, between being a doctor, a psychologist, and doing what I do now. Okay, because it's all about making an impact on other people and helping people. So whether I'm helping them get healthy or I'm helping them be successful in sales and sales management, it's all about making an impact. And as far as the psychology degree, I think business or life is all about relationships. And it's all about understanding people and understanding their strengths and understanding what you could learn from people and understanding how to properly interact with all different types of personalities. So I think the psychology degree has helped me in doing that because it's all about building relationships. Business is all about relationships.
1: One of my questions was what you learned from your, you were vice president of sales at ADP. First of
2: all, how did you land that job? Because that's a big job. That was um, a journey. Um, At ADP, they had weekly quotas. And they would stack rank you week to date, month to date, quarter to date, year to date. And it was, you were only as good as your very last week, your very last month, your very last quarter. I started in sales. And actually, my very first year, my one-year anniversary at ADP, I quit. I couldn't take the pressure of the job. I was getting in the office, started getting in the office at 7, 636, just figuring I'm going to throw time and effort at my efforts. But I never was successful. And I started dreaming about making sales and I'd wake up and I'd have nothing in my hand. And finally, as I said, on my one year anniversary, I went into my boss's office. I quit and I got a job with Donnelly Directory. And I convinced myself since I knew how to draw, I was going to design yellow page ads. And my boss at the time, who next to my parents probably had the most significant impact on my life, said Donnelly Directory is not the place to go. You stick around three more months if you're not successful. I'll personally help you find a job. So I took the deal. I no longer worried about sales. And I went from I got to get the sale to I don't care whether I get the sale. got the sale. And he told me a great piece of advice. Focus on doing the right activities right. Don't focus on the results. Because I was putting so much pressure on my own shoulders that it was actually hurting me. And once that happened, I started selling like a crazy woman. And I finished in the top 8% of 2,000 sales reps that year. Wow! Worked my way up to sales management, had team of the year three years in a row. And then I got promoted to vice president of sales, where I was managing a 40-man sales force with four sales managers reporting into me.
1: Wow. That's a great bit of advice, really, to not, not be looking at that that number, but be really paying attention to to the work that you're doing at the moment and doing it as best you can, and those results will come. Is that is that some of
2: the advice you give to your clients? It's huge. Yeah. There's a direct correlation between the activities that we do and the results that we get. And one of my very favorite words in the whole wide world is purposeful. All activities have to be purposeful. And the way to keep consistent in sales is to be consistent with the activities because there is a direct correlation.
1: Tell me, tell me um, what you know. We this show is a lot about women in particular, and in sales, I wonder when you're meeting with clients, what that difference is that you see between men and women that you're coaching. In other words, their response to you, their their eagerness to to learn. Um, to do the sales a different way. Do you find that women are more um, wanting to learn a different way than men,
2: or would you say that it's it's equal? Well, it's hard to generalize for everybody Mm -hmm. out there, but in coaching men and coaching women, I do find that women are a little bit more open to new ideas and new ways of doing things. Sometimes men are a little bit more set in their ways, and it's a little hard for them to adapt new tools or ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, But in coaching, one of the biggest aspects is for the people that we're coaching, they have to see a gap between where they want to be and where they are. If they don't see the gap, they're going to do nothing to close that gap. And after being in sales since 1986, I've whittled down sales success to three areas. One is Am I doing the right activities to fill the pipeline with good qualified prospects on a consistent basis? A lot of key words to that sentence. Qualified prospects, consistent basis. Two, Do I have a good process to take them through? So once I've got a suspect or prospect sitting in front of me, do I have a good process to take them through? That will relate to close ratios, average sales, sales cycles. And the last piece of the puzzle, which is way more than 33.3%, is attitude and motivation. And that's where we might see some differences between men and women. Mm -hmm. So am I willing to do what it takes to be successful? but am I committed to doing it day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out? And the other piece of it is I say all the time, why wouldn't everybody in this whole wide world be in sales? You get to meet new people all the time. You get to make unlimited amount of money, but why wouldn't everybody be in sales? Because the fact of the matter is the average close ratio out there is 30%. So that means for every 10 people that I give a proposal to, I'm only going to get three. So the three are a lot of fun. To get those wins, that's awesome. But the seven aren't so easy to deal with psychologically. Yeah, all those no's. And a lot of it is dealing with it psychologically and being able to look at the fact that every time you get a no, it's leading you closer to a yes.
1: Yeah. Um, Tell me what, what the one key aspect that holds women back.
2: Well, I'll speak personally. Growing up, my biggest challenge was insecurity. And it took until I was around 25 years old to change. Because when I was younger, I would worry so much about what other people thought about me. And I was never good enough in my mind. And I would always put that pressure on my shoulders. And then around age 25, I came to realize that I have a lot of fantastic qualities and that if someone doesn't like me or like the way I do things, that's their issue, not my issue. And it turned things around. But I believe it was Henry Ford that had a great line that I think about all the time. If you think you can or can't, you're right.
3: Mm,
2: that is a great line. And it, with all aspects of our life, if we think we can do it, we'll go after it. But if we think we can't, and that's one of the big issues that I was facing at ADP when I was struggling that first year, I lost my self-confidence. And I think a lot of women have that confidence issue. Mm-hmm. And the other um, challenge that women have is it's still very much of a man's world out there. When I was at ADP, there was only five other women in my position across the country. And I was trying to show the women that would work for me that you could be a mom and you could be an exec and you could have both. And I was really trying to fight that glass ceiling Mm -hmm. or break that glass ceiling and show women that they could be as, as successful as men can.
1: How did you come to that point at 25? Because actually, I think that's pretty young to um, kind of look at yourself in the right way and say, you know, I, I can do um, these these things that I thought I can't. In other words, what was it that really kind of gave you that awareness at the age of 25? I, I see it often takes women a lifetime um, or we still always struggle with it, I guess. You know, you never really just come and 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 say to yourself, I can do anything I want in this world. That's a hard place to be.
2: Well, I used to be shy, and you might find that hard to believe, <laughs> but I used to be really shy. And speaking in front of a room full of people was a great fear of mine. Mm-hmm. So when I was getting my MBA at Temple, I ran for president of the MBA Association. They only had 12 members, so I figured at the very most I'm having to speak in front of 12 people. And by the time I was done, I had 150 members. I'm introducing Ed Randell, who was a gubernatorial candidate at the time. And it was, it really changed me. Getting in that leadership role and um, really growing an organization. And... That was around the time that it happened when I was around 25 years old. So, you made a choice, really. You made a choice. I did make a choice, and mm-hmm. I also um, put myself in a position where I had to challenge my fear. Yeah.
1: Um, we are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with Lisa Peskin, CEO of Business Development University. Hello? Hi Kelly, it's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the
2: hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments.
1: Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know, they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow,
2: infusions in the comfort of our own home?
1: Yes. Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this
4: traffic, hardy-har-har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the city of life. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path we provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at CJShoppingTours.com or simply visit ChloeJohnston.com for more information.
5: Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610 592 800 or visit their Website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need.
3: When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one size fits all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one size fits all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So, why are you still following your one size fits all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484 530 530 or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Women To Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm in the studio today with Lisa Peskin. Lisa is uh, from the Philadelphia area, and she is CEO of Business Development University, uh, which is a consulting and training um, uh, business company. And uh, one of the things I think about when I think about your business is, is, is all the moving parts. There are a lot of moving parts in the work that you do. And other than, you know, how you manage that, um, I would love to know from you what your, your favorite aspect of that job is and maybe what your least favorite is, you
2: know, the parts that you struggle with a little bit day to day. My very, what gets me up every day and gets my coaches up every day is making an impact on somebody's success. So whether it be the company that we work with, it's an office furniture company that told us that they've been up 33% for the past two years and they couldn't have done it without BDU. Or the new client we started with in February that landed a $150,000 opportunity and we helped them get in and close it within a three-month time period. Or the sales associate who said he's up 300% from last year. That's my favorite aspect of what we do, making an impact on other people's lives and leaving a legacy. Mm -hmm. My least favorite is dealing with nonsense (laughs) and dealing with, um, I believe that trust, honesty, integrity are the most important thing in any relationship. And sometimes I find people in business that um, don't have some of those qualities. and. That's probably one of the hardest things for me to deal with because I, I am a trusting individual and so dealing with nonsense. Yeah. Un- untruth. Untruth or um, people that, my dad always said, you got to put your head at the pill- on the pillow at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And with the coaching that we do, I tell our clients, the one thing we don't have any of is pixie dust. We can't just sprinkle pixie dust on someone to make them successful. So if they're not willing and committed, then it doesn't make sense for them to invest in what we're doing because we don't have any pixie dust. And I've even been in situations where I've had to tell a client, I can't take your money anymore because they didn't have the right person in place. Mm. Just sever ties sometimes. My dad always, he was an accountant. And he never fudged the numbers, and he said, Lisa, no matter what in life, you have to put your head on the pillow at the end of the day mm-hmm. and be able to sleep.
1: Yeah. Um, tell me what you say to your kids. You have two teenagers, a, a boy and a girl, and, as, and they're getting to that age where you're starting to think about, and they are, their future, their goals, what do they want to be when they grow up, which is a question everybody is asked. Um, what do you say in those conversations to them for trying to um, find that right path? And not, you know, kind of waste too much time.
2: I provide for them the same advice that my father provided for me, which was follow your passion, love what you do, make your own money, and if you can, be your own boss. And my kids would always question growing up, why do they need to study for the best grades? And I was the type of mom that it was always about giving the best all the time. And if they got an A minus, why can't they do the extra work to get the A? And they would always question, why are grades so important? I said grades help you with your decisions. Because the better your grades, the more de- the more choices that you have for where you could go to school. And then once you get great grades in school, it's choices as far as maybe graduate school or your next position. And I'm not a materialistic person, but I tell them all the time that they've got to be able to earn the money that they want to earn to be able to live the way they want to live. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about finding what they love to do, as I have been fortunate enough to do. But it's also about giving it your best shot in life. And no matter what you do, giving it your best and always trying to excel. But it's also you have to be able to make a certain amount of money to be able to live the way you want to live. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's too much pressure on the kids today, though, from a,
1: um, an academic standpoint to, you know, uh, just to to do everything perfect? I guess there seems to be, you know, academics, activities, um, sports, the whole package. Um, do you see that there's more pressure today than when we were growing up?
2: Maybe just because there's more activities, but what I try to teach my kids is balance, give life your best shot at all times, no matter what you're doing. And um, I think that there should be a certain amount of pressure on them.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Generation X and Y's are a little bit different. And back in the day, if you told me I need to do this, this, and this, I'm doing it. Their motivations are a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And I always said to my kids, I don't care how well you do. I care how well you try. And that was their message growing up. If you give it your best shot and you get a B on a paper, at least you give it your best shot. But it's a crappy feeling if you know you didn't do well, but you know you didn't give it the best shot.
1: Yeah. Tell me, this is one of my favorite questions. What would you say to your 16-year-old self or 17 or 19 if you could, you know, look back and say one thing uh, that you've learned? What would that be?
2: Well, in my particular case, I feel like I spent two years learning all the pre-med stuff and I wish I could take that and have focused on business right away. So I would say make sure that the path that you're Wanting to take is what you truly want, and you're taking it for the right reasons as opposed to trying to please other people or because some other people have done it. Figure out your own path and what gets you up every day.
1: Yeah. That's one of the biggest things, I think, for young girls and women is is looking around at what everybody else is doing. Um, we spoke before the show a little bit about, you know, life being a journey and how everything that we do is always an opportunity to learn. And you used an example about a ball of clay that I really like. I wonder if you can share that with the listeners.
2: Well, growing up, as I mentioned before, I grew up with a lot of the kids that were my same religion and the same um, background that I had. And whenever I'd meet new people growing up, I would look at what I didn't like or what was different about them. And then my mom and dad, Let me go down the shore for the summer back in 1978. And all of a sudden, I'm meeting all different types of people. And I remember the paradigm shift in the way I thought at the time. And instead of looking at what was different or that I didn't like, I learned to look at what was wonderful and what I could learn from somebody. And so I did develop my lump of clay theory in life, which is... Everybody starts off life as a lump of clay and every person that you meet and every experience that you have shapes you into who you are. So now it's a matter of when I meet somebody, I'm trying to figure out what I can learn from them Mm -hmm. and how they can positively influence my lump of clay. And oftentimes when I finish a speaking engagement, I end up with my life lump of clay theory And I say my goal today was to make a little indentation on your lump of clay, Mm -hmm. just to make a little impact that is going to help you with the way you think or the way you behave or the success that you have.
1: Yeah, that's a wonderful example. It's such a visual of how, you know, we're always changing and we should never think that, you know, we've gotten there and and have it all figured out. I think for young girls especially, um, what do you think that – in today's world with, um, you know, social media, it's a, it's something we did not, certainly did not have growing up. And it allows kids to um, put out into the universe uh, messages and things about themselves to such a large number of people. I think that can be burdensome sometimes. Um, what do you? How do you see that affecting your own kids, for example? Do you think it's a good thing?
2: Do you think it's not so good? Or does it have both? I wish... That I had limited the screen time, the TV time um, with my kids growing up, because I see that that device is in their hands incessantly. Mm -hmm. And I'll often see a room full of girls that are sitting there texting each other within the same room (laughs) instead of communicating. Yes. They're texting. So what I teach my kids is anything you put out there is there forever, and you have to be really careful because there's a lot of negatives that could come from posting things that are inappropriate that could not only affect you now in life, but could affect the future when you're trying to get a job. Mm Mm-hmm. I try to teach my kids to be able to communicate with other people face-to-face and not just through social media or texting. And I think that's one of the key things. We all have that, and even in our lives, we have our emails, we've got LinkedIn, we've got Twitter, we've got Facebook. And literally, you could spend all your time just... Bouncing around. All of that. Yes. But no matter what, it's still about relationships. Mm-hmm. It's still about people. And so, what I try to teach my kids is being able to be straightforward, have good conversations, because a lot of the times in business, when there's a breakdown, it's a breakdown in communication.
1: Yeah. Tell me what's th- there's a lot of companies out there that are doing um, coaching, consulting, and training. What is it about BDU that? makes you different from the other ones?
2: I think what makes us different from other consulting companies is our results orientation. So I believe that it's not about having people well-trained or well-coached. It's are we making an impact on the results? And whenever we start an engagement with an individual or a company, we begin, as Stephen Covey said, we begin with the end in mind. So it is all about if we're sitting here a year from now and you said, wow, BDU's made such a huge impact on my company. We're very successful. We're exactly where we want to be. What does that look like? What are we going to be high-fiving each other all over the place in a year from now? And then once we start there, we work backwards because it's not always a training issue. Sometimes it's The salesperson doesn't have a good game plan. They're basically winging it every day. And I find that most salespeople basically just wing it every day without any rhyme or reason to what they're doing. So we've got to make sure they've got a well-defined game plan, that they've got well-defined activity goals and results goals that they're held accountable to. Mm
1: -hmm. Can you talk about specifically what some of those tools are that you present to a business? Let's say, uh, do you deal with um, small, medium-sized, large, Fortune 500?
2: We deal with all different size companies. Mm-hmm. So there's two aspects to our business. One is sales and sales management training that's either in a public or a private format. So companies like PPL Energy, we've done sales management training for... Fiberlink, Octagon Research, Maxwell Systems, ASTM International, and we deal with a lot of small companies that they might just have one or two sales associates that they're looking to make sure that they're maximizing their sales associates potential. And in fact, really, that's all about what we do. I used to tell my managers, you'd have a one-line job description. All you need to do is make sure your direct reports are successful as they possibly can be. And everything that you do has to be geared towards that area. So... One of the first things we do when we engage with a client is making sure they've got a well-defined game plan. We provide them tools to really analyze where their business has come from in the past. Because when we develop a game plan, just like a football coach who is putting together a game plan for the game, they look at past tapes and what happened with the teams in the past. We analyze their business. And oftentimes, just coming up with that well-defined game plan is going to be the difference between them hitting their numbers and blowing away their numbers. And then once they develop that game plan, and we have a lot of different tools to help them do that, then it's really every single month holding them accountable to their goals, And then strategizing on how to get more accounts into the pipeline and then making sure we're dotting our I's, crossing our T's to get the accounts through the pipeline. So it's all about shortening the sales cycles, increasing close ratios, increasing average sales and getting people to be more consistent throughout the year.
1: Some of that stuff I didn't understand <laughs> and some I did. Okay. But as I'm listening, I'm wondering, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you know what works and you, and you do present those tools and everything and the strategies. And, but what happens when, you've, when you're up against personalities? Because I'm sure, I know you know this. When you go into some companies and businesses, a lot of what's holding them back from success is not necessarily the strategies, but the different personalities that aren't quite meshing. What do you do with, in those situations?
2: Well, that's a great question because I made a huge mistake in my first year as a sales manager. I wanted everyone to be little Lisa Peskins. I wanted them to have my same motivation, my same work ethic. Be nice. Do things the way I did it, have my same attitude. And I remember my first year I was 93% of quota and at ADP that was unacceptable. And I had my team do an anonymous stop, start, and continue on me. What did they want me to stop doing? What did they want me to start doing? What did they want me to continue doing? And I still have those three pieces of paper back from 1986 or 1996, I should say, that um, are great reminders for me. And what I realized is you can't manage salespeople in a cookie cutter mode. You have to understand that every individual has strengths and what I call areas of opportunity. And I taught my managers what I call the triage approach to sales management, which is understanding what three areas that, if improved upon, are going to have the biggest impact on performance. And we work on those three areas. And with each individual that you're working with, It's different triage areas. So it is one thing dealing with personalities. Everybody's got to be willing and committed. If they're not willing and committed, all bets are off, right? Mm -hmm. But as long as they're willing and committed, they could have very different personalities, very different strengths, very different areas of opportunity, but we could still get them to a level of success Mm -hmm. as long as we figure out what motivates them and what they need to do in order to be more successful. Yeah, it's
1: a lot of analyzing before you even get started. It's a
2: lot of analyzing. And because I've been doing this for so many years and because my team members have been doing this so many years, it's very easy for us to go in to a sales organization and quickly ascertain why their sales aren't where they need to be yeah
1: that's terrific we're gonna take one last quick break and we will be back uh, here on women to watch with Lisa Peskin CEO of Business Development University Uh. hello hi Kelly it's Sue are you and Joe going
2: to the kids game after school today No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey,
1: my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know, they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes. Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24 7 to provide safe, one on one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877 974 4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will if we ever get out of this traffic,
2: hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well.
5: Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest-growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need.
4: Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the city of life. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at CJShoppingTours.com or simply visit ChloeJohnston.com for more information.
3: When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one size fits all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one size fits all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484 484- 530 530 or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today rbc wealth management a division of rbc capital markets llc member nyse finra sipc
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch. I am in the studio today with Lisa Peskin, who is CEO of Business Development University. And Lisa is a Philadelphia native. She is from the area, and she goes into all different size companies and and helps with their bottom line, basically, in sales. Um, I think it's important to talk about what exactly some of the tools are that you use to help motivate salespeople, because often that is really what is holding back. Um, the bottom line is is that lack of motivation.
2: Interesting question. And as I said before, more than 33.3% of a sales success is going to be attitude and motivation. What I learned in my eight years of sales management in corporate America before I started my own business was that different things motivate different people. And I made a bad assumption as a sales manager. I assumed that everybody cares about being number one. All I wanted at ADP was at the end of the month for them to give me my plaque and say I beat the other 39 salespeople. And after accumulating over 100 plaques, I came to realize that not everybody cares about being number one. Some people, it's making X amount of money. Some people, it's getting promoted to X. Some people, it is being number one. And some people, they want more balance and quality of life. Mm -hmm. And so in working with any individual, it's really critical to understand what gets them out of bed every day. And to manage people individually, understanding what their key motivators are. Mm -hmm.
1: That's a great question. A very good opening question to ask someone is what motivates you every day in, in what you do?
2: Or it could either, either be asked in an open-ended way like that, or it could say, if I gave you the choice between being number one, making X amount of money, getting promoted to X or something else, understanding that they're not mutually exclusive, what's your biggest motivator? hmm So that's about motivating individuals, understanding what their short-term goals are, where their long-term goals are, and their individual personalities. Now, motivating teams is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget a pivotal point as a sales manager where I didn't see my team working together towards a common goal. They were all going after their individual quotas, but they weren't going after the team goal. So I created a thermometer that looked like a United Way thermometer, and I, I put it outside my door. And I drew lines on the thermometer. Each line represented $1,000 in sales. And then I put the team goal at 110% of quota. Everybody had their own color, and they every time they made a sale, they got to color in the amount for that sale. So they obviously wanted to see more of their own color on this particular chart. And I said to the team that was a bunch of 25 to 30-year-olds at the time, if we hit the team number, I'm going to take you out for a lunch and you could buy every appetizer and eat as much as you possibly want. Every month, it was a new chart. So in April, it was a big umbrella with raindrops representing the dollars. That year, I made 10 out of my 12 months. And what happened was the dynamic change changed. So the individuals not only cared about their own number, they wanted to contribute to the team number. So there was no sandbagging anymore, and it wasn't something I came up with. I asked them what they wanted. So by doing that, I got immediate buy-in. So structured incentives and recognition programs are fantastic. And then the other thing that I'm a big believer in is Attaboy's whether it be a written attaboy coming from the boss saying congratulations on making your number this month, keep up the great work that gets CC'd all the way up the ladder, Mm -hmm. or just going up to somebody at the end of the day and saying, you know what, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your extra efforts. Mm -hmm. I see that you're constantly in here first, out last, and I got to tell you, it doesn't go unnoticed. That is so motivating I have still, I have a file at home that has every single attaboy that I've ever gotten in my life. And I've still kept them to this very day because that's what motivated me to want to do more. To get somebody to say, least you did a great job and recognize my performance and the actions that I took to get there, it was huge. Yeah, we all want to be acknowledged. Everyone really has that desire to be acknowledged. And it
1: does it goes a long way. You think, wow, somebody's noticing how hard I'm working. I'm going to keep doing it.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Or try to or try to be better. Um, talk to me a little bit about the difference between good and great.
2: Well, this is one of the analogies I use all the time. I was taught by my mentor that it's a lot easier to get more out of someone that's successful than someone that's struggling. And I came to realize that there's really not a huge difference between those good salespeople out there and the sales superstars. And I relate it back to baseball. In baseball, if someone has a 280 batting average, which means 28 hits for every 100 of bats, if I said someone was a 280 hitter, we'd say they're a good hitter. Over their lifetime, really good hitter. Now we talk about a 330 hitter, which is 33 hits for every 100 of bats. Over their lifetime, now we're referring to those individuals as Hall of Famers. Well, what's the difference between the good hitter at 28 hits for every 100 of bats and the Hall of Famer is five hits for every 100 of bats, which is only 5%. Mm. And you know what? It applies in life. There's really not a great difference between those good individuals and those superstars, sometimes it's the little things that can make the difference.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great that's a great analogy because you know it, it's showing you that you only need to go maybe just this much further um, to reach greatness,
2: and it's I, not so out of reach. Absolutely, and I remember pivotal times in my career. One in particular where I went to a training, and the trainer talked about having an elephant program. And basically, at the time, I was going after all the little accounts. They were easier to get into, but the fact of the matter is they were a lot more price sensitive, they were so much smaller than the large accounts, and oftentimes took a lot of my energy. And this person came in and talked about going after large accounts. And I put together an elephant program. And I remember that year, after a targeted approach, I would have one elephant drop pretty much every single month. So all those small accounts that I was no longer going after that were coming to me, that was my gravy. And then it was a whole psychological change. Because if the big account would come into the beginning of the month, I'd no longer have to push for the end of the month. And the accounts would come in. If I could make my quota in the first two weeks, psychologically, I was much more prepared to blow out the number for the rest of the month. So it all does come down to psychology, doesn't it? Yeah. Are you a little competitive? (laughs) (laughs) What gives you that impression? (laughs) I can feel
1: it. (laughs) And I can see your love of your job. I I just think that's so great. Tell me what you do when you're not working. Are are you able to, you know, relax away from the business and and do other things that, that bring you joy?
2: Absolutely. Um, I told you one of my favorite words is purposeful. Mm -hmm. But another word that I always use with my kids is cherish. And we've got to cherish the moments. We have um, so many blessings in our life. And oftentimes we take them for granted and we don't truly appreciate them Mm -hmm. until they're taken away from us. And as I get older and the time in front of me is a little bit more limited than the time behind me, it's all about appreciating life, appreciating all the blessings that we have, appreciating our health for us and our loved ones, and making the most out of every day. And I've got a concept in life called Squeeze the Lemon. And it's not about making lemonade out of lemons, it's about making the most of everything. And it's all about seeing how much we could get out of every day, every moment, every interaction.
1: So do you ever just lie on the beach?
2: I was there last <laughs> week.
1: Um, Didn't I ask her
2: if what she does to relax and bring joy? And she's... <laughs> well, you know what? It's balance, and so with that, I have my family dinners twice a week. That's good. I have great friendships. I believe I work hard and I play hard, and I appreciate. Yeah,
1: that's wonderful. I so appreciate you coming in here today. This was great fun, and you gave some great advice, and, and I'm sure the listeners are going to take away some great nuggets from from your story and your success.
2: Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thank you so much, Lisa.
1: That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. Again, my name is Sue Rocco. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to reach out to my website at womentowatch.net. And that's women and the number two. And again, I thank Lisa Peskin, CEO of Business Development University, for being here today. Have a great week, everyone.